Johnny. Four weeks. 20 papers, that's $2 plus tip. Uh, gee, Johnny, I don't have a dime. Sorry. Didn't ask for a dime. $2. Well, uh, it's funny. See, my mom had to leave early to take my, my brother to school and my dad to work because... $2. Cash. See, the problem here is is that my little brother this morning he got his arm caught in the microwave and, and uh, my grandmother dropped acid and... She freaked out and hijacked a school bus full of penguins. So it's kind of a family crisis. So come back later. Great. From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today, a delightful girl with a firm grip, is my lovely wife Nakia, otherwise known as the Unenthusiastic Critic. Is that a sexual thing? Uh, Strangely, not in this context, no. (laughs) On today's episode, we're heading back to high school, and specifically we're heading back to my high school days for a viewing of Savage Steve Holland's 1985 cult classic, Better Off Dead. Nakia, as I mentioned briefly last week, our mission statement, such as it is at The Unenthusiastic Critic, covers several different kinds of movies. I think there's a lot of crossover between them, but in general, they break down into three categories. There's the critically acclaimed classics. I think we've done a few of those for the podcast. We did 2001 A Space Odyssey and The Godfather and The Maltese Falcon. I think those fall into that category. Yes. Then there are the sort of pop culture phenomena, the blockbusters and popcorn movies. These are the films that, for better or worse, nearly everybody on the planet, except you, (laughs) had already seen. That's stuff we've watched like Top Gun. Burn it. (laughs) Avatar. Set it ablaze. Goldfinger. Fire. (laughs) And then finally, and more personally, and I would argue more importantly... They're just the weird little movies that I happen to love. They're not necessarily universally adored. They are not necessarily critically acclaimed. (laughs) And maybe they're not even particularly good by any objective measurement. So the category is waste of my time. (laughs) Exactly. But they are movies that, for whatever reason, found their ways into my heart during my formative years, usually my teenage years, and warped my sensibilities in indelible ways. These are the personal cult classics, the endlessly quotables, the films that my lifelong friends and I can and do refer to incessantly. Uh And again, usually these are films I fell in love with when I was a teenager. And I think we've been neglecting this last category in part because, for the purposes of this project... I think these films are the toughest sell. I think there's a big difference between watching a film when you're 12 or 15 Mm -hmm. and watching it when you're 35 or 40 or pushing 50, as in my case. (laughs) I don't even know for certain that I would like some of the films that I loved when I was a teenager if I watched them today. And I think think they are harder for me to justify (laughs) forcing you to watch, and yet we're going to do it anyway. Okay. In Stand By Me, one of those 
adolescent films from my adolescent years, the narrator suggests that you never have any friends like the ones you had when you were 12. I think that's true of movies, too. I think you never quite love any film like the movies you loved when you were a teenager. Mm -hmm. So maybe let's start there this week. We're, We're watching a teenage movie, a high school movie this week. Let's talk about being a teenager and about teen movies. What were the teenage years like for you, Nakia? I mean, my teenage years were pretty uneventful. Um, I was a gawky nerd who was in all the, like, I know, shocking, right? (laughs) (laughs) I've changed so much. Um, Who was in, you know, all the sort of nerdy classes. And I wasn't bullied or terribly unpopular. Um, You you weren't Carrie? I wasn't Carrie, though. I would have loved to have been Carrie. (laughs) Can I tell you? did, Did it look to you like Carrie was having a good time? That's because Carrie was not utilizing her powers in the way that she should have been. I would have been flinging bitches all over the gym class, okay? (laughs) Like, I would have been all about my telekinesis. Um, So, no, I was not Carrie. But I also just was sort of, I think I was sort of a non-entity. Like, I wasn't unpopular. I Mm -hmm. absolutely was not popular. I was just kind of in the middle. Um, My high school was about, like, probably like 2,500 to 3,000 kids. Jesus. So it's easy to just sort of float in there. My town wasn't that big. <laughs> and then as far as friends go, like, I probably had a handful of, if that many, sort of good friends um, and bounced from, like, different groups. Like, there were the goth kids. There were the nerdy kids. I knew some a girl that was, like, a cheerleader. And so I wasn't in any one particular group. Uh-huh. But I, I, you know, never invited to dances. Like, that whole sort of movie teendom was not my experience at all. Oh, you never went to a dance? I was never at, again. Aww. I, it's a, if, please. <laughs> I have come to terms with who I am in the world. No, I was not the girl that you asked to go to a dance. <laughs> that wasn't me. So my high school was about, I think it was about 400 kids. That's ridiculous. And I think my graduating class was like 85. We had to hold my graduation something. at the UNLV uh, <laughs> auditorium because <laughs> there were so many damn people. So I kind of feel the same way you do it. Like I didn't, high school was just there to me. I don't remember it as being horrible. I don't remember being bullied. Suffer. I mostly just wanted it to be over so I could get the hell out of town and never come back, which is what I did. <laughs> I don't think I was the most popular kid, but I don't think I was hated, at least not to my face. You had a members only jacket, so you were a member of something. Okay, we all did, and I don't think you can hold that against me. <laughs> uh... And I think, I mean, my friends and I, we had fun. We hung out. We didn't go to a lot of parties. We were not party people. I don't think I really learned to drink until I got to college. But we hung out on the weekends. We played poker. We watched a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. We would just rent a dozen movies and just spend the weekend watching them. Um, so we were probably nerdy, but we didn't feel nerdy. We were okay. <laughs> and, you know... I think going to a high school that small, too, it was a different experience because, like, I graduated with the same 85 kids that I went to kindergarten right. with. So I'd known them all my life. Yeah. So there there wasn't sort of that, there weren't even enough kids to really have that click thing mm-hmm. that you see in movies. There were some kids that were better athletes or better looking or smarter than others. and But it wasn't, there just wasn't that same dynamic right. that, that you see in the, all those teen movies. So... When you think about teen movies, what what particularly resonates for you? I mean, I have a, I probably have three teen movies that I love and can watch even today. Uh huh. So one is House Party. 
Okay. Which came out in like 1990. It's Ken Play and Robin Harris and Tisha Campbell and A.G. Johnson. George Clinton makes a cameo. And it's just one of the best. It's just, it's hilarious and tonally perfect pretty much all the way through. And it has one of the best dance scenes in filmdom ever. And it is highly quotable. So that's probably my number one teen movie. Then would probably be Heathers. Of course. <laughs> because I love sort of angsty Winona Ryder. <laughs> um, and again, absolutely quotable and hilarious. And then the third would probably be Clueless. A classic. A classic, again, quotable. And it appealed to my, you know, budding fashionista <laughs> thing. So <laughs> those would be. and But none of them really spoke to my high school experience. There wasn't anything that I necessarily related to. I mean, I was sort of moody, like Winona, I guess. Um, That's the one you probably relate to the most. I mean, character. but not even, though, because I wasn't super dark like that um did you murder people i did you know that's not something i want to talk about okay that's fair on air uh, <laughs> but yeah and then it's also i think probably house party was probably the m- most naturalistic of the three because what ha- i feel like with teen movies what happens a lot is the the writing is so smart and just so sort of perfect quips and 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 i don't know teenagers that speak that like, that. like that right um so you know, I just wasn't that smart and that funny and that cool. Uh, but yeah, but I love none, none of us were. And when we thought we were, <laughs> we weren't. Well, I don't. I don't want to shock you, mm-hmm. but House Party is the only one of those three that I have not. I seen. am shocked. I don't know why. I don't know what you, makes you that know why different. You know why. <laughs> Everybody knows why you haven't seen. So House you and I actually talked about this a little bit before we did the we started the podcast. Right. There are not a lot of black comedies like that not that i am aware not or not that i am aware of or that i have seen so when you asked me the question i had to think about it and i didn't come up with a lot particularly like that sort of genre of teen comedy like there are a lot of sort of bummer black right there's like boys in the hood and, and stuff like high and stuff like which are, they're great films but they're not you know the sort of light teen comedy right. thing um, but some came out after my time. So there are movies like ATL and Drumline and Dope, which recently came out that are sort of, that just are sort of day in the life of mm-hmm. black teens that isn't mm-hmm. this sort of high drama moment. Um, but I have not seen those, so I cannot speak to them. But yeah. Okay. I don't, I mean, I don't know that I have a favorite teen movie. It might be Better Off Dead, which is why we're watching it this week. A movie I've never heard of. <laughs> that's, that's good. <laughs> It'll all be fresh for you. But I mean, I I went to high school during what I think was like the heyday for these sorts of movies. And we've talked a lot already about how there was sort of like this shift in Hollywood that happened in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And I think this is another way that shift happened because people used to make movies about grown-ups, even like raunchy comedies about grown-ups. And then suddenly in the 80s, it's like Hollywood, I think, had finally discovered the buying power of the American teenager. Right. And there's just this flood of movies about teenagers. A lot of the ones we think of as the classic high school movies, like that's when I was in high school. It's like mm-hmm. all the John Hughes movies came out within about a four-year period, and that was like the four years I was in high school. Mm-hmm. It was 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, Some Kind of Wonderful, came out like bang, 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 mm-hmm. over a four-year period. And then there were just a million other mm-hmm. teen movies released around that time. 
many of them awful, some of them good. In every genre, everything seemed suddenly to be about teenagers. So there were, like, dramas like Bad Boys and The Outsiders. You know, you had sports movies like All the Right Moves and The Karate Kid. You had adventure films like Back to the Future and The Goonies. You had romances like Endless Love and Dirty Dancing. Even war movies like Red Dawn was about high school kids Mm. fighting the Russians. I vaguely remember hearing about that, yeah. Yeah, so it's like (laughs) everything was teenagers. And then there's a million comedies. Right. So let's, let's, that's, I think, what we're focusing on today is like the teenage comedy, the, teen comedy. the high school comedy. Right. You had stuff like uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, right. horrible movies like Zapped. Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the horny male version of Carrie. It is a, I think it's Scott Bayo and uh. the kid from Eight is Enough as like telekinetic teenage boys or something. Horrible, horrible oh, movie. That sounds really bad. Yeah. Um, but there were just so many of those movies, and I think I probably saw all of them <laughs> during my high school years. But I don't know that I have a favorite. I mean, Fast Times at Ridgemont High is a great movie. You just like that one moment with Phoebe Cates. Not just <laughs> for the Phoebe Cates moment, though that factors into the, the scoring, certainly. Mm-hmm. I like Say Anything. We'll circle back a little later and talk about the Cusack oeuvre. Um, I like... Clueless a lot, although that came out, I think I was out of college when that game movie came out, so yeah. that was not during my teenage years. There have been some recent movies that I liked a lot. Um, the Perks of Being a Wallflower from a few years ago was pretty good. Yeah, I didn't see that one. Um, the Edge of Seventeen, which I think came out last year, yeah. was good. And then I think my other favorite recent teen movie is uh, John Carney's Sing Street, mm-hmm. which I think it was 2016. Um, you haven't seen that one, have you? I have not, no. We, we should watch that, I think. Well, actually, I don't know if you'd like it, because it's <laughs> sort of a musical. That's a no for me. It's about a it's about a kid in an Irish high school, an Irish Catholic high school, who starts a band. And it takes place in the 80s, and it's, you know, sort of the Duran Duran mm. music video era. So they're singing their songs, and they're making their music videos, and trying on different identities, and, you know. Right. So... One week they're punk, and the next week they're new wave, and their outfits change. And it's it's a really good movie. It's a little bit of a fairy tale because they're, like, first of all, the music is way better than it has any right of being. It's like Super 8, but for music videos. <laughs> exactly. But then it's also kind of got that sort of gritty, like, life sucks in Ireland <laughs> kind of quality to it. So it sort of all balances out. I really like that movie. We should watch that. Okay. But when I was thinking about it, I realized that my favorite teen movies aren't movies. They're TV shows. Okay. So I think Freaks and Geeks Mm. is as good a representation of high school Mm -hmm. as has ever been made. And those kids I relate to. Mm -hmm. I don't think I was... Maybe I was quite that nerdy. But that's the thing about (laughs) that show, too, is they don't feel nerdy. They're just kids. They're just having fun. Right. Um, And then I think for exploring the idea of high school as hell, in this case, literally... There's no better example of that than the first three seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> God, I knew Buffy was coming out. <laughs> that is high school as the mouth of hell. Sure. So, uh, so what makes a what makes a great teen movie? Do you think a great teen movie? Um, I think great teen movies tend to focus more on the sort of outsider kid mm-hmm. than the popular kid. Those are 
usually the ones that probably resonate more with people. Right. And and when we say outsider kid, it's still someone who's usually gorgeous and, you know, <laughs> magazine cover ready. Right. But in the world of the film, you know, they're the sort of nerdy, marginalized... Um, Square pegs, if you will. Yes. To reference yet another teen TV show. So... Those tend to be a bit more interesting just because there's a little bit more nuance there to, to mm-hmm. pull from. And you have all these like angsty feelings and things. Um, part of my not loving teen movies is I'm, I'm never interested in the romance story. I'm I, so like, I'm not interested okay. in, oh, I really want to date the jock or I really want to date, right. you know, the popular cheerleader girl. Because usually those people are just like vapid nothings. <laughs> and it's just, why do you want to be with this person? Well, if you look back at those movies, too, they made some bad decisions. They made some terrible decisions. Like, all the John Hughes movies. Just like, Molly Ringwald just makes one bad decision after another. Decisions. Yeah. First, she picks the guy who gave his girlfriend to the nerd to <laughs> rape in 16 Candles. Then she picks Bender at the end of <laughs> The Breakfast Club, and that's not going to work out well. I mean, I would pick Bender, too. And then we all know Ducky was better for her than the other guy. Yeah. Although you Though like, I, yeah. Yes. <laughs> there there I we lo- go. Speaking of rapey. I love Blaine so much. <laughs> this is James Spader, who's the villain. I don't know if you realize he's supposed to be the villain. Oh, he's absolutely the villain walking around looking like he just stepped off Miami Vice. <laughs> I love Blaine so much. He's such a fucking slimy douchebag, but I love him. This explains so much about you. <laughs> he's so much more interesting, even though he's terrible, terrible, terrible person. And then Some Kind of Wonderful, which I'm not sure you've seen that one, mate. Yeah, you and I you... watched that, yes. Oh, okay. We did. Yes. That's, the, that's the gender-swapped right. pretty in pink, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And he actually ends up with his ducky in right. that movie. Which is the Instead right of answer. the popular girl. It was yes. like a do-over. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, I like the ones that have that are about the sort of weird characters. Um, Aren't you also a fan of? I just thought of it, the craft. Oh my god! Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you basically anything with witches, I love. Uh huh. So then it's you know witches in high school using their pettiness to like. <laughs> I just. This is coming back to the you wanting to have carry power. This is thing. me wanting to have carry power. Yeah. Exactly. When Rachel True uses her powers to make Christina Taylor go bald, who's like the <laughs> bitchy white girl that's been tormenting yeah, her uh-huh. through the whole... I, When I tell you that gave me my life, it was amazing. I loved it. I love the craft. And Feruza Bog is crazy as shit. And I love it. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> and if you're ever, you know, having a problem with someone at work or at school and you need to sort of gain some just sort of psychic control over the situation you just say i bind you nancy i bind you from doing harm to others and that works and it, i think it works and you just you just say that okay. to yourself and everything just becomes clear they are no longer a problem <laughs> that is it that is another movie like like the Buffy TV show, mm-hmm. that is just like the metaphors of yeah. the supernatural with sort of right. uh, the angst of high school. Well, in this, I think it right, completely works. Just like fear of the power of women mm-hmm. and having them be witches, and, and this idea of like if women are were to sort of tap into their you know inherent power, right? They could just wreck shit, right? Carry um, again, right? right. Carry again. So yeah, 
Okay, well, I mean, to me, I mean, I think I think one of the reasons I like the Buffy TV show is that it's not really about high school, how high school is. It's about the way high school feels. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all exaggerated and it's all blown out right. of proportion, which is, again, very adolescent, like emotions feel big right. and every crush feels huge. Everything is the end of the world. Everything is the end of the world. So on that show, it's literally true. And segueing now, and we will talk about Better Off Dead next, I think it's that kind of movie, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. About how high school feels. Something in my shoe, it's embarrassing. I died a thousand deaths by the time I was 16. Maybe if we try to remember, I can meet you here three years from the end of December. just segue right into talking about better off dead and i think this week the what do you know about this movie conversation is going to be pretty short i don't know absolutely nothing about this film (laughs) absolutely nothing you'd never heard of it never which to me means that you and your friends were just into some random shit because i don't know like is this highly quoted like i never hear anybody is is that what that means to you i think that's what that means do you want to talk about some of your favorite movies sure Let's talk about a little film called We Married Margot, <laughs> which is literally one of your three favorite films. I don't know this and one. And you of my are three. the only person on the planet that has ever heard of it. That movie's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Listeners, if there is another soul within the sound of my voice who owns a copy of We Married Margot or has even seen it, it's so please let me know. It's a perfect little indie film. <laughs> Margo! It's the best. I highly recommend. <laughs> so I, I, I bring that up for two reasons. <laughs> One, I don't think you can say just because you haven't heard of something <laughs> that it's not a good movie. I think I can. The other reason, and as you will discover, the guy from We Married Mar- one of the two guys in We Married Margot mm-hmm. is Roy Stalin from Better Off Dead. These are the only two movies I ever saw him in. <laughs> And you like the wrong one. (laughs) Okay, well, that's yet to be determined, (laughs) I think. Okay, so Better Off Dead, uh, the year is 1985. The director is Savage Steve Holland. That's how he's listed in the credits. This is already a a no for me. (laughs) And this is right in the middle of the great Cusack High School trilogy. We had... The Sure Thing in 1984, which mm-hmm. you have seen. Yes. And then Better Off Dead in 85. And then it was a couple of years later, I think, Say Anything is 89. Uh, but those are sort of the three Cusack High School movies. And then I guess 10 years later, Gross Point Blank, he sort of circled <laughs> back to the high, high school. High School reunion. Exactly. Right. So, since you don't know anything about this movie, and nope. we'll leave it that way, I'm not going to tell you anything up front. Let's let's talk that about John me Cusack. So much. Okay. How do, how do you feel about John Cusack? I mean, Cusack is fine. 
I like saying anything, though it really is just, you know, a love letter to stalkers everywhere. Um, <laughs> and I love Gross Point Blank to the point where I briefly considered a career as a contract killer. And High Fidelity. Are prob- those are probably the three Cusack films that, you know, I'm happy to watch if they're on. I think you forgot one in there. What did I forget? Arguably his best There's gonna be film. What is it? Con Air. Michael. You're staring at me. That does not translate on the podcast. That glare. <laughs> I think it does. Me. I think if you're hearing static right now, it is my <laughs> hatred for Con Air coming through. It's a terrible movie. It's terrible. For Nick Cage alone, it's a terrible movie. Horrible. But that that is the kind of movie that Nick Cage needs to be in. That is the perfect Nick Cage vehicle. I mean, vehicle. he should be embracing the crazy. It's so over the sure. top and just... Kind of ludicrous and horrible. But it's not a good movie. It becomes fun. It's not a good movie. (laughs) And then Bubba Gump Shrimp has like diabetes or something. It's just not. Like, what is happening here? Dave Chappelle gets thrown out of the cargo. I guess it's it's some weird shit going on in that. Like, some of his racial. And it's just like, I'm mm -mm, I'm not on board with Con Air. Not at all. Really not. Put the bunny down. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I. Yeah. I don't have it. I don't know what I have to say about John Cusack, except I don't know what the hell happened to John Cusack. I mean, he's an interesting. Like, he doesn't have necessarily leading man looks, mm-hmm. and I don't know that I would say that he is an amazing actor. Um, I struggle to think of a great dramatic turn by John Cusack, though I confess I did not see his Edgar Allan Poe movie. I was not going to see that. I love <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe, and I would be damned if your chinless ass is going to fuck up Edgar Allan Poe for me. You're not going to do it. No. Was, no. It was just an unnecessarily Because he Because t- he did, no, stay away from Edgar Allan Poe. Just don't do that. Don't do it. That's all my little high school golf dreams wrapped up into. No, don't do it. That's not for you. Yeah, he has. Uh, he has not made a great movie. Yeah. I think I would argue since Gross Point Blank or High Fidelity. High Fidelity. I don't know which, yeah. High Fidelity. In which later. he got to sleep with Lisa Bonet. Yeah, so that's a good like, day's work. So this is what I'm saying. So not you know. Well, so yeah, you know Lenny Kravitz, Jason Momoa, and John Cusack. You're giving me the stare again. Yeah, I'm giving you the stare again. What does the stare mean this time? I'm not, because this is going to make me say mean things about John Cusack, and I don't want to do that. I'm not, that's not my intention. Uh-huh. But no, he's not on that list. <laughs> he's not on that list. But what I'm saying is, for someone who's fairly average, uh-huh. he's had a, a long career. It's been a long career, it hasn't but been, you, know, you know, High Fidelity was like almost 20 years ago, and yes. I think I think he's done like a couple of other things that have been hits, like uh, I didn't like it, but other people liked Hot Tub Time Machine. Oh, I didn't watch he that. He was in that. Yeah. Um, but I feel like generally he's been in this kind of like almost direct-to-DVD hell for like the past 20 years. I don't know what's going on with that. Well, we just put our finger on it. He's average. I have a theory that he's... Kind of a dick. I don't know that I've ever heard. I feel like I have heard reports of that, and in fact, there are some that came out of this movie that we will talk about a little bit. Okay. Well, actually, I did hear that he was a. I think so. I think I've heard of interviews that Jeremy Piven has done where he said that Cusack can be sort of difficult to work with Mm -hmm. or not. But then it's Jeremy Piven who's also not the most stellar reputation, right? So then it's just like I think maybe you both were knobs, but okay. Whatever. So, I I mean, I guess I can tell you here that John Cusack did not like this movie. 
This does not make me want to watch this. <laughs> he made two movies. They're they're not literally, but they're basically the only two movies Savage Steve Holland ever made, <laughs> right back to back, which was Better Off Dead, and then a lot of the same cast got back together again for One Crazy Summer, mm. which is nowhere near as good. But apparently, they just started filming One Crazy Summer, and they did a screening of Better Off Dead, which was the first time Cusack had seen it. And according to Savage Steve Holland, Cusack, like, went off on him after the screening of Better Off Dead and said, you tricked me, that movie is horrible, that's the worst movie I've ever seen, you suck, you're talentless. And this is while they were making the next oh, movie. Oh, man. Which could not have contributed Bitch, you were there every day, though, to right? the success of One Crazy Summer. I'm guessing that there were tensions on that set oh. at that point. Um, Cusack has now walked that back a little bit because I think Better Off Dead has become a cult classic oh, and people love it and mm-hmm. fans ask him about it all the time <laughs> and ask him, why do you hate it? And he, I think he's walked it back now and mm-hmm. said, that got blown out of proportion. You know, I didn't really click with that movie, but I'm glad the fans like it kind of thing. But yeah. Yeah, pull your head out of your ass. <laughs> So, you have three movies that, that was about. that was the one thing that I had heard that made me wonder if maybe John Cusack's career in part has to do with him being a little difficult to work with. It has not been my understanding that difficult men have trouble getting jobs, though. I guess that's true. That's so, a fair point. Now, if he was a bitchy woman, then that's a different story. But <laughs> difficult men, particularly difficult white men, don't have trouble getting jobs. They're just auteurs, geniuses, tormented by their craft. Okay, well... Knowing nothing about Better Off Dead. <laughs> and again, just I, just to justify why it's here, I mean, this is a movie that when my nerdy friends and I were getting together in high school to rent movies instead of going to parties, Better Off Dead had about a 40% chance of being included in every batch of movies that we rented. Wow. Uh, yeah, we watched that movie a lot. Well, if I can't trust the taste of some young kids from rural Maine, then, you know, what, what are you going to do? So, taste makers. Trend setters. <laughs> we were on the cutting edge. So how many naked or near naked women are in it? Uh, none, actually. Really? Not that kind of movie. Okay. This is not, no, it's not the Porky's, okay. you know, okay. sort of movie, no. You get a few points back for that then, all right. <laughs> There's a hot girl in it, but, you of, know. Well, of course there is. There's always a hot girl. So, so what are you actually expecting at this point? Some. Having set this up for you this way? Dumb <laughs> high school movie about dudes probably chasing the hot girl. <laughs> Is someone dead in it? Is it like a, what is it? I was going to say breakfast at Tiffany's. Totally different. Yep. Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> now I want to see the Weekend at Bernie's version of Breakfast at Tiffany's where somebody's just hauling dead Audrey Hepburn around. She'll meet you in the bathroom. <laughs> if you have a 20. <laughs> so yes, that's sort of what I'm, yeah. Okay, I clearly don't know what to do with this conversation, so let's just go. <laughs> it's watch like the Brian's movie. song. If the dude, I haven't seen. Okay, Brian's you song. Have, yes, right. thank you. But like he has cancer, or something, so he dies, and their friends are super sad about it and want to give him one last good time, so they take his dead body around to parties. This is the movie you were writing from the title. Yes, better off dead. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And how does that movie end? The funeral. Okay, and is Cusack the dead? 
person? No. Cusack is one of the friends carrying okay. the dead body around with shades on. Okay. Madcaps ensue. <laughs> <laughs> He's had too much to drink. That sounds like, I mean, it does sound a little bit like Weekend at Bernie's. It sounds a little derivative. Yeah, I think it's a hit. It's probably going to be better than whatever we're about to watch right now. So we could just watch We Married Margot. Yeah, we're not going to do that. No one is going to do that. <laughs> People out there, please watch it. That would be the least successful episode we ever released. It's such a funny movie. So good. Well, you'll get to see where the star of We Married Margot got his start as Roy Stalin in Better Off Dead. Yay. Does it ever feel like everyone's got more going than you do? Oops. <laughs> that everyone is smart. So you're Al Myers' kid? Yes, I am. You look pretty stupid to me. Thank you. You say the best skier in town just ran off with your girlfriend? Even your younger brother does better than you do? <laughs> and that nobody even cares? That broke up with me. Oh, that's nice. Well, you might be right. <laughs> but remember one thing. I haven't even been to New York City. Nobody was ever better off dead. Truth is, I could outski you any day of the week. Oh, really? Yeah, you want to race? I'll take you on any day, sucker. Go that way, really fast. If something gets in your way, turn. All you need is guts. All right, now turn. I'm gonna race. I'm gonna lose, and I'm gonna die in that order. Go. And you'll never doubt yourself again. He's skiing on one ski. Better off dead. And that's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. An abnormal look at a normal teenager. Okay. During the break, Nikki and I watched Better Off Dead. So this was pretty much a box office disaster. <laughs> uh, it sort of came and went, disappeared. The critical reviews were fairly terrible. Siskel and Ebert gave it two thumbs down. Oh. <laughs> uh, Ebert said it was one of the most appropriate titles he's heard in a long time. <laughs> this is on their TV show. They thought the jokes were predictable and obvious and recycled from better movies. Ebert said, this is a real bad movie. If I had totally forgotten it, I'd be a happy man. That's harsh. And that was kind of, I think, the general consensus when it first came out. But it is a movie that found life on video that found its audience on video, including me and all my weird friends. <laughs> and it really is kind of like a cult classic now. Let's see, Rotten Tomatoes, it's it's sitting pretty well. It's at a solid 78% critical score, 87% audience score. So that's solid. Sure. And it it is just one of those movies that my generation will just always reference. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I saw an interview, I think Cusack did the, the Nerdist mm -hmm. podcast. And again, those guys, the Nerdist guys, were all like, we need to ask you about Better Off Dead and why you don't like Better Off Dead. <laughs> that was one of the places where he was sort of walking it back and being like, you know. Right. Yeah, that's gotten blown out of proportion. I Everybody guess. else right. loves it except me who right. started it. So my experience of seeing it in, I mean, I must have seen it pretty, because it came out in 85. I didn't, I definitely didn't see it on theater, but I saw it on video not long thereafter. Mm -hmm. And then... 
saw it about 40 more times <laughs> on VHS around that time. So that was my experience. Nakia, what was your experience in 2018 as a 30-something woman viewing it for the first time? I mean, I see why a bunch of 12-year-old boys really liked it. <laughs> And that's not even, I'm not trying to be disparaging, but... Really? Because it, it sounds a little patronizing. <laughs> I, think, I think it's definitely for a, a certain audience at a certain time. Um, so I will say this. It was very predictable in a lot of ways, but there are some very surprising elements to it. Uh-huh. So the whole storyline of, you know, boy loves girl, boy loses girl to the asshole jock, boy spends the movie trying to, you know, right. win the girl back, in the meantime is falling in love with, you know, the next door neighbor. Yeah, it's... Sort of, it's very formulaic. It's very formulaic. It's, you know, very the standard popular 80s. blonde girl right. that he's pursuing. Meanwhile, there's the quirky brunette that's right. at his side the whole movie who's obviously right for him. There's the jock rivalry. There's the big race at the end. In fact, we, we just heard the trailer, and the trailer was terrible and makes it look like it's that movie. Standard 80s. Yeah, right. It looks comedy. like the most derivative formulaic mm-hmm. teen movie. Mm-hmm. Completely forgettable. Completely ignorable. Right. Um, except at the very end of the trailer, they throw in the line, that's a shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. (laughs) And that's like the only hint in the trailer that there are other things going on in this movie. Yeah, I mean, there, there's this sort of undercurrent of surreal, almost... It's like humor from an animated film. Yes. It's a, it's a it's a it's sort of an off-kilter humor that runs throughout the entire movie and that's sort of the only thing that's interesting about the movie and my I'm I'm still trying to figure out whether or not there's enough of that and if it's done well enough <laughs> to actually make it an, a a good film. I mean it's interesting because he he was what's his name Savage. Yes. Savage was obviously trying to do something different and so you have this sort of storyline of you know, the failed suicide attempts that John Cusack's character mm-hmm. embarks on. And you have the weird sort of random humor of the drag racing with the Asian <laughs> brothers, where one Asian brother only speaks in Howard Cosell's voice. So as we were watching this movie, like stuff like that kept happening. You'd be like, oh my God, I forgot about the Asian brothers, <laughs> the drag racing Asian brothers. I was random and you know the news the little newspaper delivery kid who is just like this unstoppable force asking for his two dollars he is the most memorable thing that's he is. that's what you will hear people quoting most from i can this movie. absolutely hear people saying where are my two dollars where yeah, are my two dollars like little serial killer paper right. boy. um so i get how it's almost and i'm gonna say this and and i want to like it's not you know it's not at all at the level of monty python or you know kids in the hall or anything mm-hmm. but it's sort of that like sort of reaching for that kind of just weird humor right um and sometimes hitting it and other times not uh there's this section in there with claymation hamburgers <laughs> doing a rock music video that i Which, thought was just too long okay and it did not work for me at all but it's, all i mean right. it's weird and part of it is, it's sort of, this is like what the inside of a teenage boy's head looks like kind uh-huh. of feeling. So yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting. I don't know that I liked it. Uh, okay. Well, you need to see it 30 no, or 40 more times. No, I will not be watching it. I definitely won't be watching it again. <laughs> not going to do that. All right. Well, let's let's back off and talk about the story a little bit. Okay. So as you said, it's pretty pretty straightforward story. Mm-hmm. 
boy in love with girl, boy loses girl to the town ski champion, the captain of the ski team, which, is that even a thing? I mean, again, I went to a small high school. We didn't have a ski team. I don't think we had a soccer team. I don't know. I mean, we had a, I don't know that we had a ski team. I knew people that went skiing for holiday or whatever, but I don't know that we had a ski team. Okay, so that that is, yes, that is uh, Aaron Dozier playing Roy Stalin. Yes. Your hero. <laughs> and the girlfriend is... Uh, Beth. Am- Amanda Wiss or Weiss, I'm not sure. She also played the girl who dumped Judge Reinhold in uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. So apparently she was the girl who dumps guys in 80s movies. Okay. And then, yes, he's uh, despondent. <laughs> Lane is a little despondent over this. Mm-hmm. As the title says, he'd be better <laughs> off dead than to live without her. So we get not very seriously, but it's a little like Harold and Maude, where he keeps right. staging these like suicide elaborate attempts. suicide yeah. attempts. None of which... Very seriously, and none of which go very well. No. Um, we have Curtis Armstrong as Charles DeMar, the best friend. Booger. Yeah, he's just forever going to be Booger, isn't he? <laughs> well, he sort of came off boogery in this one, too. He was <laughs> he sort was, of gross and... This was kind of a combination of Booger and the character he plays in Risky Business, which I think is another 80s movie you have not seen. I have seen, not seen Risky so Business, no. Probably will do that one of these days, too. <laughs> I can't picture him alongside Tom Cruise. Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird pairing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he seems to spend the whole movie obsessed with getting high off of things that aren't drugs. Yeah, because he can't get real drugs. So he snorts jello <laughs> and snow <laughs> and other sundry items. Um, okay, so we open, and I think the film tells you right away what it's doing, because we open with this long pan around Lane's bedroom, mm-hmm. and it is eight million <laughs> pictures of Beth. Of Beth. Yes. So it's like, again, like what I was saying earlier, it's like, it's it's taken all of those high school elements, like the, you know, obsessive relationship with mm-hmm. a girl, and just dialed everything up to 11 yeah. to make it absolutely ridiculous yeah. and over the top mm-hmm. and more about how it feels to be in love in high school. Than right. That person is everything and you right. want to see them all the time. And yeah. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. He showers with his socks on, but I don't know what the hell yeah, that's, I don't about. Know what that's about. Like that's just one of those random things. And I thought I thought, okay, those are probably the socks he was wearing when he met Beth, and that's why he like he just never takes his socks off, and that was what the joke was there. And that's why Beth broke up with him. <laughs> <laughs> but then later in the movie we get a flashback to when he met Beth, and he is wearing he's like playing football or something, he's wearing gym socks. They're not the same socks. <laughs> So either that was like a continuity error or the costumer made a mistake. I don't know what the hell is going on there, but it doesn't make any sense. It could also just be a statement of like how gross boys are when they're teenagers. That they shower with their socks. Like that's not, not a thing. Like I mean, boys are gross in different ways, yeah. but that's I don't know. That's I don't know. That's a little weird. I think that opening scene in Lane's bedroom where, you know, the walls and the headboard and even his hangers <laughs> his coat hangers are plastered with photos of Beth. You know, it is definitely a good example of this sort of hyper realization of love as a teenager or what you think is love as a teenager. I thought another good example of that that you didn't usually see in the sort in those eighties teen comedies was the scene where he and Beth first meet at the park 
and they sit down, and she scratches her nose. Yes. And so he gets self-conscious, like, scratches his nose. <laughs> right. And then, I got something in my nose? Right. You hear the inner dialogue of mm. both characters saying, oh, why is he scratching his nose? Do I have something on my face? And then it ends with both of them just sort of trying to wipe their entire <laughs> yeah. bodies down because they're so self-conscious. So I like that, that sort of look into the sort of breaking down of what happens in the mind of teenagers and yeah. how just self-conscious and hyper-aware you are of your own self and your own body, particularly when you're in front of somebody that you like. So I like that scene. And again, it was something that I, I don't think I'd seen before in the 80s teen comedy genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is almost like a, a teen comedy made by, like, the Zucker Brothers, the airplane guys. Mm-hmm. It's got that element of just bringing that surreal right. amplification to everything. And then Lane is trying out for the ski team, and Beth meets Roy Stalin <laughs> and tells him... I really think it would be in my best interest if I went out with someone more popular. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) You kind of see your point? I definitely wouldn't have gone out with Roy Stalin. He was just an asshole. Uh, He he is quintessential 80s villain. He is personified. The same character played by different actors is it. It's, you know, it's the guy in Karate Kid, the... What is it? Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai. That, that guy. <laughs> it's the guy in Revenge of the Nerds, the head of the frat in Revenge of the Nerds, that same blonde, arrogant, douchebag guy. Somebody should have done a movie about that guy, the sort of interiority of the blonde, popular guy the villain. in the mm-hmm. 80s comedies films. That, that would be a good postmodern 80s teen comedy. He was probably getting beat up by his dad at home or something. Like, something was wrong. <laughs> It wasn't all roses. Well, isn't that sort of what a... Uh, oh, yeah. And, Emilio uh, gave us right, a little exactly, bit of that. Right, exactly, in The Breakfast Club. <laughs> <laughs> Emilio had a rough home life. <laughs> Which made him tape people's buttocks together right. in so the locker see, there's room. always, yeah. you know, there is a reason. <laughs> My dad is mean, so I'm going to have to punch your face. And then, uh, I'm just trying to get the big plot elements out of I mean, the plot is the least interesting yes. to talk about this movie. But, okay, so next door we have the Smiths, uh-huh. which is Ricky and his mom. And they have taken in a foreign exchange student played by the lovely Diane Franklin. Who they seem to think is a mail-order bride. <laughs> <laughs> That's a troubling plot point for me. So I recognized that guy, and I couldn't remember where I remembered him oh, from. Oh, really? I don't know that I'd seen him in anything else. So he was in, and I don't know if you watched this, um, Head of the Class, Mm-mm. that like no. teen, com- teen show about oh, the, the like, one with, gifted uh, class. Dr. Johnny Fever with yes, Howard Hessman? Okay. Yes. <laughs> I vaguely remember it. So he was on that, but he has gone on to become like a big dude at Nickelodeon. Like, he produces a lot of their big shows, like Ar- iCarly, all that, which I love. I think that's what Stav- Savage Steve Holland is doing these days, too, is working on those shows. Well, Dan Schneider, who is who plays Ricky, is no longer with Nickelodeon because they have asked him to leave, and the story is Uh-oh. that it's around allegations of abusive behavior. Oh, no. Yeah, including uh, sharing photos of actresses' toes on social media. So that was just... Oh, wow. That just adds a whole other layer to this. And that character is super creepy in this movie. So he was just putting his testicles all over people, as Monique says. So it's it's unfortunate. (laughs) Uh, Diane Franklin, who plays Monique, by the way... Who is not French. Who is absolutely not French. I don't know why they needed to make her... the, The accent was bothering me the whole time. But she is. She had been. In a, she was in a few things around that time. She was in uh, the Last American Virgin. I think was the other big movie that she was in. 
But just to bring things full circle back to last week, we last week we talked about Amadeus. Mm-hmm. She is the other actress that was up for Costanza. Who was too pretty for the job? Who, yes, who the director <laughs> said was too pretty for the job, so gave it to the other, the other actress. Uh, yes, but she's, yeah, That's that would have made me, not that it ever came up, but that would have made me have second thoughts about doing any kind of foreign exchange student thing. Well, and that comes up a lot, too, in 80s teen movies. There's always some foreign exchange kid. I don't ever remember there being foreign exchange students. There, You're right. That does come up. There is sort of this attitude that getting a foreign exchange student is right. an opportunity to import a hot chick. Or bring in some sort of stereotyped character from some foreign place. And it's like, then you get the, like, silly Asian character or the whatever. So it's just... Long like, Dong. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a weird sort of trope, and I don't know where that came from. Um, well, I mean, I guess that's how you get any kind of diversity in the Or you could just have diverse kids in your school because we live everywhere. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I don't know. It's all white kids and I then the comedic... So. Yeah, okay. That and, a, and also... I would be interested, and I don't know if there is scholarship done around this, but the role of Asians in teen comedies in the 80s, mm-hmm. the way that they're othered and used yeah. as comedy props yeah. is really weird to me. Yeah. So here we have the one brother who doesn't speak English Any and the English other brother who only, only speaks, speaks in Howard, Howard Cosell. Cosell. <laughs> he learned from Wide World of Sports. Why? Like, <laughs> why was this a thing? But it's funny. I mean, to me, Long Duck Dong is not funny. No, absolutely. But this this is funny. I mean, it's funny just because it's weird. Like, I don't even know how you get to that idea. <laughs> I don't know how you get there. But that, that, to me, is the beauty of this movie, is that they took that totally formulaic teen comedy, mm-hmm. and then it was just like, okay, and we're just going to pack weird shit yeah. all around the edges of it. Yeah. Um, a lot of it, Savage Steve Holland claims, was from his life. Like, just exaggerated. Okay. Like, he said, you know, he did have a bad breakup, he did try to hang himself in the garage, he said he, like, broke a water pipe and got in trouble because oh, he, like, broke a water pipe in the garage. The the menacing paper boy was apparently something that r- was real. Um, but, yeah, it's just all just cranked up to ridiculous levels here. Okay. Uh, all right, well, let's talk about the paper boy since we're there. What is there to talk about? He's just a phantom. I don't know. I mean... He's just always present. He's always there. He's like that movie, um, what was it? It Follows. They're coming, you know, at a steady pace. They're not yeah. really, but they are always there. Every time you turn around, they're always there. Yeah, that was a weird character. There's a little bit of the Jaws thing There's a where like, bit you of the hear Jaws his theme thing. music right before he shows up. And then yeah. there's that scene where Lane's going through a park or something and it's foggy. Mm-hmm. And there's just like this army. It's like <laughs> it's like Night of the Living Dead. There's just like this army of paper boys in the fog. And he can't find his keys to get in his car. <laughs> right. It is totally a horror movie scene. <laughs> now, it was only on this, my approximately 47th viewing of Better Off Dead, mm-hmm. that it occurred to me... Why is the paperboy chasing Lane? Lane doesn't owe him any money. No. Like, go talk to the parents. Yeah, apparently he never comes when the parents are And home. this movie takes place over a period of at least several weeks, because yes. we go through Christmas and New Year's and all of this shit, and the kid's still asking for $2. By this point, don't they owe him more money? Maybe he stopped delivering. I don't you know. think he stopped the paper I delivery? I think he might have cut them off. <laughs> so many questions. I have so many questions. So many unanswered questions around Better Off Dead. Uh, we have the weird parents. Parents are weird. The parents are pretty much standard 80s teen movie parents and that they're totally ineffectual and sort of spacey and trying desperately to 
connect with their hip young teens right. through the new lingo. Um, the mom was like, she came back from the Valley of the Dolls broken or something. She was just <laughs> weird in a way that I just was like, okay. Good cook, um, though. Yeah. Her food moved off the plate, so that's nice. <laughs> Um, and again, it's like you, it's that viewing, having a mom as a bad cook through the eyes of a teenage boy, her food was probably totally normal. It just wasn't good. (laughs) But in his eyes, it's like, you're leaving alien tentacles on my plate right now. (laughs) And I can't do this. That disgusting boiled bacon she serves in the first seat. This was also stuff that Savage Steve Holland said was, again, from, he claims he did actually once get TV dinners as Christmas presents. Nice. We have the little brother. Who doesn't who speak and does is just not say weird a word. and apparently some sort of secret genius and that he can build rockets and laser guns. And space shuttles. But also can order hookers. <laughs> and does so and then has a group of them with yes. him as he's like Hugh Hefnering it up in his bedroom. <laughs> so. Not hookers. Trashy women. Sure. The book he orders is How to Pick Up Trashy, trashy women, women and apparently it works for There's him. There's a certain place where you pick up trashy women though. <laughs> Is the thing. I feel like that was a little unnecessary. I feel like it would have been enough for him to just be weird in that sort of way that he built weird shit and he was tinkering and nerdy and intellectual. Mm -hmm. We then had to make him sort of pervy. I don't even think it's supposed to be pervy. I think it's just supposed to be the point is that Lane has no luck with women. And meanwhile, his weird little brother is... Acing it with the trashy women? Right, picking up women left and right. I think that's the joke there, I guess. (laughs) Sure. We also have the recurring gag throughout the film in which everyone is asking Lane if it's okay if they take Beth out. Right. You know, the mailman asks him that. The His geometry teacher? His geometry teacher asks him. And I believe at one point, Bernie Rubble on the TV <laughs> asks him. Which again is that feeling of when you break up, everyone in the world knows. That... Right. There's a lot of that stuff in there. Yeah. That's the thing where he's driving to and like every song that comes on the radio song. is a breakup mm-hmm. song. That's very emotionally authentic yes. for how that feels. Absolutely. <laughs> Though I wouldn't know because I didn't date in high school. Which I'm I'm feeling like was it wasn't a choice, but it was a good luck on my part. <laughs> you you didn't really miss anything? I didn't. All right, well let's talk about Monique, who I must confess is probably responsible for a lot of the fond memories of this movie. She's just the perfect woman. That's the thing, though, is that she's not a person. She's a, she. <laughs> uh, no, not so much. <laughs> she's she likes a, baseball. You know, right? A plot mechanism. <laughs> she loves Dodgers. She can throw a good baseball. She apparently actually she can't throw it. She's, I don't. We hear her hit her target, but she throws like a girl. Let's oh, be okay. Honest. Let's not say throws like a girl. Let's just say she doesn't throw well. Okay, because there are some dudes who don't throw well either. Um, you know, apparently a master mechanic. Yeah. And amazing skier. Amazing skier. She's, she's just, just yeah perfect in this every way. This is manic way. pixie dream girl. Her only problem is that she's bl- oh, she's a brunette. Oh, I guess it's like that's <laughs> the only demerit against her. Um, and she's French, and so of course that's not a demerit. No, I'm saying you know, that's right. another tick on the dream box. There is she's French, which also means you know she's going to go away eventually, and she won't be a problem. Well, um, we don't we don't think that far ahead. No, she is. But... <laughs> Yeah, she is a deus ex machina yeah, in cute girl much. form that she tells the hero how he can fix his life and teaches him to ski and... in a fabulous skiing montage. Yes. <laughs> so terrible. 
So I know this movie was only like 90 minutes long. It felt a little long, and it might have been... Did it feel a little padded to you? It felt a little padded, and I think it was probably the cheeseburger video, music video, claymation music video definitely (laughs) was part of it, but then the other part was... I felt like we went up to that K-12 hill a few too many times. Yeah, there were a couple of Before the final showdown. Mm -hmm. It's just, okay, let's get the fuck off the ski hill. (laughs) I'm past this. Let's just move on. But yeah, Monique was pretty much perfect. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you couldn't see that under her brunette hair and baseball cap or whatever the hell and until you know he won the race which he does on one ski yes which i don't think is possible uh i have never skied but (laughs) i feel like you need both i have never seen anyone else ski on one ski so i'm assuming that would be a problem yeah but he does it, of course. Well, he has to because the, the movie the has paper, to end. The paper boy is right. fast behind them. <laughs> Something is following them. Yes, he wins the K-12 race against Roy Stalin. And, of course, Beth, the blonde, wants him back. Yeah, because she's kind of... I mean, Beth goes where the money is. She's a terrible person. You know, she's a terrible, You gotta do what you gotta do. Person. Beth knows that she needs to get married because she ain't got shit else to offer. <laughs> So she is looking for the best bet there. That would be, as long as you're doing the re-examining of, you know, 80s tropes, that would be another interesting one, is the... The popular blonde girl. The popular blonde girl trope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's examine the inner life there, because she turns up in all of these movies, too. She does. She's Jake's girlfriend in 16 (laughs) Candles and all of that. Yeah, I mean, Monique is pretty much in love with him from the start. Yeah. And is won over by a frozen dinner and saxophone playing, apparently, which is just... That was a very romantic scene. There was nothing romantic about that, including his two popped collars and... Okay, you can't criticize the fashion. That's just the fashion. He could have made different choices. (laughs) You you can pop one. You don't need to pop both. What about Monique's fashion? They had her mostly, like, frumpy outfits and frumpy It was kind of that Annie Hall sort of segue into the 80s... And I don't know if they're like, oh, this is French, but yeah, I don't know what the thinking there was. Um, but yeah, the idea of him playing saxophone as an asset, I found confusing. But well, he wasn't great at it, and it's a weird, it's a weird thing to do <laughs> to do a saxophone solo on somebody's well, face. We already know how you feel about being serenaded in any I way, so it. you're not. <laughs> no, nobody wants the saxophone played at them in close range. <laughs> It's weird. It's a weird choice. And the claymation music video did not really work for you? No. I'm not big on claymation food. Like, I don't like the California raisins because it's food. And I don't like to see my food animated and dancing and with emotion. You, you um, have strong feelings on this? I really do. I do not. Claymation in general, I'm not a huge fan. But I don't like it when it's food. Didn't, like, Seth Rogen make a whole movie about animated food? That's possible. I didn't see it. It I guess maybe I don't like that either. It doesn't seem like something I want to watch. No, but it was just a weird... It was just like, okay, now we're going to have a random music video starring two hamburgers and fries (laughs) dancing around. So what I've heard Savage Steve Holland say is they put that in. They weren't sure about it. They weren't sure it worked. They, you know, they're like, this is kind of weird. What are we doing with this? And then, like, test audiences loved it. It was, like, their favorite part of the movie. I'm not surprised. People are smoking a lot I, of cocaine I sort of am. in the 80s. There's a lot of cocaine. You can't just excuse everything that happened can't in an I? 80s movie as being I think I can. about cocaine. I think I can. You cannot blame cocaine for everything. I can blame cocaine for a lot of shit. <laughs> I think I can, actually. 
But part of it also just felt like he had this bag of tricks, Savage, and uh-huh. he wanted to. So he did another little piece of animation where Lane is in the cafeteria and yes, he's, drawing he's drawing on it. And that's sort of more kind of traditional animation. So I felt it just seemed like he had these things that he could do and he wanted to do them. That comes up more in uh, the next movie, One Crazy Summer, mm-hmm. too. That Cusack's character is, I think, an animator yeah. in that. And there are a lot of cartoon It feels like in that. trying to have this sort of Terry Gilliam moment, mm-hmm. but not quite. Like, you're not Terry Gilliam, so don't. <laughs> well, this is, uh, this again, this is, I think, what Savage Steve Holland, I know he has a cartoon, I think it's called Eek the Cat, which I've never seen. I don't know if you know that no. one, but he's an animator. That's oh. what he does now, so. Okay. All right. Well, you're just, you know. I'm not, I said that they were trying to do something interesting. I don't think it made the movie good. <laughs> but I can see why at 12 years old, this is like the shit. Well, that, I, to me, you know, like, a lot of the reviews were like, there's a lot of weird stuff, but if you take that out, it's just a... Standard. Standard comedy. And it's like, well, the weird stuff is the point. Right. The rest of it is just the skeleton on which all the weird stuff hangs. No, it definitely feels like he was like, I need to sell this to a studio. They like 80s teen comedies. I'm going to then hide all the shit that I really want to do into this sort of standard teen comedy story. Mm Mm-hmm. So I get that. Um, I did one. I just don't know that the gags resonated with me as much as they did with you. Did you laugh? I don't think I did. I laughed when the black dude was like, <laughs> "It's a shame to be throwing away white boys like that." I did laugh at that. That may be the only point that I laughed. <laughs> but but otherwise, it was just kind of like, mm, "This is interesting." It almost felt like a student film. Like I was watching somebody who might become be doing something interesting later. Right. I think we all expected great things from Savage <laughs> Steve Holland. And that by the second movie, it was already clear that maybe that wasn't going to happen. The second movie has its moments, but it's not. A part of it, too, is it, it didn't always feel like a movie. It felt like sketches just sort of connected mm-hmm. together. So maybe he would be better just doing sort of one-off sketch shows right. where you just do a bit for five minutes and then you move on to the next thing was cusack a hero for you as a young lad i mean i don't know if he was a hero i think there was definitely like i realized when gross point blank came out mm-hmm. because that was i think the timing's a little off i think that came out like the year before my 10-year high school reunion would have been mm-hmm. uh which i didn't go to <laughs> but I think I realized when that movie came out that, like, John Cusack was kind of this, like, avatar of my teenage years. That, like, he was going off to college at the same time I was going off to college Mm -hmm. and, you know, all of that. So that's... But I don't know that he was a hero. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's not his... not his milieu. Well, maybe, yeah. That kind of everyman Right, yeah. Hero is maybe the wrong word. Yeah. But the idea that he was a leading man that you could relate to as, like, a young teenage boy because he wasn't... You know, ridiculously handsome and right. hot. He wasn't he, super gorgeous. You know, he wasn't. He, he was a little awkward. Particularly physically fit. Right. But he was funny and he was sort of smart, but not really yeah, smart. Yeah, so in that way, yeah. I think that's true. <laughs> so, but it's interesting because I was thinking about it. I think in all three of them, at least, he's always a fairly confident person. But even in this one, he's saying, I can get any girl I want and it's not a big deal. And. Right. And he's sort of that way and say anything as well. Right. Just like, there's never... He's not super insecure. Right. Or, where it's like, right. I think I'm not, I'm not good enough for this girl that I want. He's always, I'm absolutely good enough for this girl that I want. Why doesn't she want me sort right. of thing? And 
his, his so his characters in those films sort of standing in for like that was maybe the one way where he could sort of inspire those folks the the, the sort of boys that look to him as yeah, I think that's probably a good point. I mean, you you said sort of the same thing about uh, Michael J. Fox mm-hmm. in in Back to the Future too, right? Because he again he wasn't a loser, right? Character that you were rooting for. He seemed to be doing pretty well. Yeah. He had an attractive girlfriend. He was confident, right. um, but he wasn't uber popular and right. You know, and he was someone that we at that age could look at, right? And it was attainable. He wasn't. He was <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He wasn't so far above right. us that we could not imagine being that person right. and, you know, feel inferior to him. Okay. Well, you've just analyzed the, the John Cusack... I don't think that I've analyzed anything. Career. At all. <laughs> the John... The Cusack appeal. The Cuse appeal. I don't think anyone calls him the Cuse. <laughs> I'm going to start calling him the Cuse. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I'm, I'm not entirely surprised that you don't have a lot to say about this movie. Did you have a favorite part of this movie? Was there anything that really worked for you? The black dude saying, don't throw good white boys away. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, like I said, I appreciate the attempts at this sort of surreal cartoonist sort of humor in the middle of what was a pretty standard mm-hmm. teen comedy um, because I wasn't expecting that. So that was a surprise while I was watching it. But yeah. Would it have been better for you if it had been weirder and darker? Is that... Do you think? Because it is a weird tone. It is like it a is, live action yeah. cartoon tone where it's kind of it's got it's weird, but it's also got this weird sort of wholesomeness to it. Right. It's not. I mean, maybe maybe it have, if it had been this sort of darker sort of satire of being a teen in suburban life and like the sort of the really normal mundane things that happen in suburban life, but have can be painted in this really sort of menacing way, like <laughs> the the newspaper delivery kid. Um, that might have been a more interesting um, but this wasn't bad i didn't hate it i just wasn't in love with it and i think i like my cusack with more i might like more hyperverbal cusack and just sort of he was pretty hyperverbal in mm, this was he i guess i feel like in say anything there were more sort of lines where i'm just like i love that line and i love how th- that you did it and you did it per- like the whole i don't want to make anything that can be bought or so <laughs> right, like, so there wasn't right, anything right, in there right. and i feel like you have it in say anything you have it in gross point blank there's some stuff in high fidelity and that may just come down to the writing, obviously, but mm-hmm. I think I like that Cusack just more the, than... The monologuing? The monologuing Cusack more than Cusack attempting to do sort of physical zany humor sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but. but then he gets to say lines like, you know, I'm sorry your mom blew up Ricky. Yeah, that didn't do anything for me. <laughs> at all. I didn't get you early enough this film. <laughs> I don't know that that would have made a difference, really. <laughs> Here's a piece written by Nathan Rabin at Splitsider, who watched the movie for the first time just a couple years ago. So he was another one that did not get it early. Mm -hmm. He said, Watching the 1985 comedy Better Off Dead for the first time in 2016, as I did recently, is like listening to an early James Brown or Parliament Funkadelic record after a lifetime of listening only to hip-hop. It's astonishing how familiar everything feels because seemingly every riff, every idea, and beat has been so thoroughly internalized and recycled by the army of entertainment it inspired. You obviously concur with that completely. First of all, keep those people's names out your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Like, forever. (laughs) Second of all... And 
I mean, I guess that makes sense. Because I, I did say that this is obviously someone who probably watched Monty Python and probably watched Kids probably, in the Hall. Probably, I don't know that, but sure. And sort of tried to mimic that same energy. But again, I don't think he hits it. Like, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> that type of comedy, you have to... It's very... It's a very fine line. Nathan Rabin goes on to talk about the kind of comedy. He calls it Rando. Okay. And he says, at its core, Rando is the comedy of randomness, of crazy, Brilliant. unexpected, or surreal juxtapositions and wild left-field pop culture references and oddball running jokes. It's comedy so weird in particular that it at times calls into question the very nature of comedy. See, again, I don't think it does it good enough. <laughs> I, I, I almost feel about it the same way that you feel about Family Guy, where you're just like, they just okay. do random bits yeah, to say to that they did guy. it. Mm-hmm. And you're just laughing at it because you recognize the bit. Not necessarily because it's done well or because it's particularly smart or insightful. They're not unpacking it in any kind of interesting right. way. So I feel a little bit like that about this. Of just like I like I see where you're pulling the references from, and I see you know where where you're trying to go. I just don't know that he hits it all the time. I do think when I watched it this time, it was more innocuous than I remembered it being. Mm-hmm. Like I and I wonder if that was part of what. And I don't know this. I'm just. Remember we talked about how Cusack, when he saw it for the first time, it wasn't right. it wasn't the movie he was expecting. Right. And I wonder if he was expecting a slightly darker edged movie. Mm-hmm. Like I think it could have gone that way and didn't. I think it's very it's weird, but it's like sanitized. Right. Um but I think it works. I mean I think the the random bits have a weird emotional resonance to them where they feel most of them feel like they're coming from an actual place of Mm -hmm. what being a teenager is like. The classroom scene where, like, every other kid has, like, a a major, you know, portfolio of preparation, and he's got the wadded up piece of paper in his pocket that says, do your homework. It's all exaggerated. No, I get get, get it, and and it is definitely more interesting than the typical 80s teen comedy in that Mm -hmm. it does do that sort of surrealist sort of humor. Maybe I just do feel like in in some instances it just didn't push it enough. Like, is it brilliant just to have the drag racing with the two Asians just because it's weird? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Like, I just, like... I mean, I don't... I was trying to, like, interrogate my own memories of this movie as we were watching it and figure out why we all liked it so much. And Mm -hmm. I don't actually have an answer to that question. Mm Mm-hmm. I think part of it was, and again, this was an era of a lot of teen movies and a lot of teen right. comedies, and it was different. Right. So I think just it's not being a John Hughes-type movie mm-hmm. made it stand out. Yeah, I don't know exactly. And I saw an interview with Diane Franklin where she was talking about why she did this movie, and she was saying that you know every script she was getting at that time was like a raunchy team comedy like i don't think she wore her clothes in any other movie except better off dead Mm -hmm. and that it was different from that perspective too that it was not one of those like porky's style private school kind of movies that was just all tna though we did have the strip the cheerleader in the middle of the yes i had forgotten when you asked me how many near naked girls there were in this i had forgotten that the cheerleader Loses her dress, but that's a throwaway bit. But unnecessary. Exists just to get John Cusack totally beat up. Totally unnecessary. <laughs>
I also just like the just the random just the throwaway stuff. I like the the scene. It's near the beginning where they're having breakfast, and the father keeps pulling cereal boxes out of the cupboard, mm-hmm. and Badger's cut the coupons out of them, so the cereal's just falling on the floor. That makes me laugh. I don't know why. And then later in the film, hits that joke again as Lane is feeding the cat. <laughs> And he walks across the room, and the cereal, the cat food's falling out of the cat food box, and he pours it into the, the cat bowl, and then he goes straight to the table and pours the same <laughs> box into his own cereal and starts eating the cat food. I don't know. It's just funny. I don't know why it's funny. I mean, but that's oftentimes how comedy works. It either hits you or it doesn't, and you can't always explain why or why not. I definitely wouldn't liken it to hip-hop, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, pre-hip-hop. He was, he was likening it to... You know, the roots of hip-hop. No, but he's saying... Isn't he saying that Better Off Dead is hip-hop? And then what is he saying? No, he said... He said it's like listening to an early James Brown or Parliament Funkadelic record after a lifetime of listening only to hip-hop. So saying that Better Off Dead is the originator of this sort of quote-unquote rando comedy? Uh, I think that's what he's saying, yes. It's not, though. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Maybe it is. I don't know. It would not surprise me if you mentioned Family Guy. It would not surprise me if Seth MacFarlane is a big Better Off Dead fan. Right, but would you say that, okay, that's being influenced by Better Off Dead, or would you say that it's being influenced by Python or Kids in the Hall or... Airplane. Airplane or... There's, you know... No, because they did it better. The genealogy is complicated. (laughs) It's important. (laughs) They did it better. So if anything, this is sort of the... This is further down the line there than... I mean, it's very well... They absolutely could have watched Better Off Dead and been inspired by it, but recognize that Better Off Dead was inspired by all these things before it that I think did it stronger. So you're not seeing this as a groundbreaking no. comedy? I mean, I think, f- I think, that's I think fair, for probably. the genre, it absolutely is, because 80s teen comedies just weren't doing this sort of thing, mm-hmm. at least that I have seen. So absolutely for the genre. For the, the sort of quote-unquote rando comedy... No, it's, it was not the originator of that. Okay, but you admit it into the canon. To shoot out into space away <laughs> from me, sure. It's a movie that everyone should watch. No, I want to give that black dude an Emmy that said that one line, <laughs> and then that's it. And then I'm done with this movie. You can't just only like the black moments in movies. I can, bitch, I can only like the black moments in movies, in music, in life, in wherever. <laughs> yes, I can. All right, any final thoughts on Better Off Dead? I've never heard you say, give me my $2. I want my $2. For all your talk about this being such a quotable, important film in your lexicon, I've never heard you say that in my life. You know what the one thing I do quote, and you didn't even, I'm sure you didn't even realize that I quote it, and I don't know why this is the thing I quote most often. Whenever we have French anything, French toast, Mm -hmm. I say it like Lane's mom. French toast. French dressing. French bread. I'm pretty sure this has been done somewhere else though before. No, that's this. That's that's this. That comes from this. You've just heard me say it a lot. Whenever we order French toast in a restaurant, that's some weak shit. Like if that's your example of why this movie's quotable, that's hella weak. There are other examples. Cause you say French like that. That's not a selling point, homie. That's not good. That's not good. No, not good. You want to hear quotable? House Party. George Clinton. I might cry two tears in a bucket. Fuck it. That's quotable. That you go I, out. I have never heard you quote that. I quote that all the fucking time. I have time. never heard you quote that I quote that, that all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. 
No. You just lost your whole argument with that French bullshit. <laughs> That's what you're bringing to the table. I've been going to this high school for seven and a half years. I'm no dummy. Never heard you say it. <laughs> Doesn't really apply in life very much. And then this line. <sighs> Go that way really fast. If something gets in your way, turn. Never heard you say it. That is a piece of life wisdom on par with Buckaroo Bonsai's. Oh, Jesus. No matter where you go, there you are. Like, those two lines together, that's all you need in life. Those are your guideposts. You're staring at me yet again. Those For the are third time in this episode, you're just giving me a blank stare. For those who do a lot of lines. <laughs> it's the only way that that means anything. I feel like this movie is wasted on you. That's cool. It was obviously wasted on you if all you walked away with was French toast. <laughs> all right. Anything else? No. You're going to watch this again. I'm never going to watch this you're movie gonna again. You're going to come across gonna... this movie on cable no. and you're going to sit down and watch it. And I will keep going. I will it, wait until the one line laugh. that I like and then I will And wait. here's the thing. We can't trust your, your judgment on things. Excuse me? No, we can't. Why is that? Not in this process. Because you didn't think Blazing Saddles was funny when you watched it the first time. I didn't say it wasn't funny. I just, it wasn't the just hilarious thing that you were making it out to be. Again, the eight minute fart scene. <laughs> it's like 30 seconds. It's, it's not. Really it's, not. It's forever. <laughs> and again, the only line I like in that is when he says, what a white woman at. Apparently, I just like when black people come out on white people's whereabouts. That's my point. Because <laughs> <laughs> we got to keep tabs on you bitches. That's why. <laughs> Okay, I think we're done. This wasn't great. Yes, it was. It was an A for effort for trying something different. Could have pushed it a little further. Maybe they'll remake it. Why would you do that? Or do a sequel. Maybe yeah. it's maybe the time is right for a better off dead sequel. No, or you could just make something good. <laughs> That's cool too. That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week for our special Mother's Day episode, as Nikki and I take a chance on a worldwide phenomenon that neither of us has ever experienced. We'll be watching the 2008 screen adaptation of Mamma Mia. The one movie Meryl was not nominated for. (laughs) I have no idea how this is going to go. My prediction is that we will dance, we will jive, we'll be having the time of our lives. As a black person, I don't jive. On just, just general, I don't jive. If you want to join us in this experiment and watch along with the unenthusiastic critic, Mamma Mia is available for rent for most of the major streaming services. And listeners, if you've seen Mamma Mia and have an opinion about it, we want to know what you think. You can tweet us at Free Range Critic, leave a comment on unaffiliatedcritic.com, or send an email to michael at unaffiliatedcritic.com. If we get your take by Monday, May 7th, we may read it on the air next week. That's it for us. Until next time, remember, true love means subjecting your partner to movies they really, really don't want to watch. You know what teen movie I really like that I don't even know if it's politically okay? Uh-oh. One of the boys, I think it's called, or one of the guys. Oh. <laughs> I fucking love that movie. Speaking of gender swap movies. Mainly because she's hot as shit, both she, as a she woman. She is pretty hot. And <laughs> I think... I think along with the Phoebe Cates pool scene in Fast Times, <laughs> probably more VHS tapes were destroyed, freezing on the scene where she opens her shirt and reveals her I had her a boobs. moment of, like, sexual confusion. I was like, damn. <laughs> okay. I'll see you. She was cute. So that's another one that I really like. <laughs>